Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day. We are 12, 12, and 5, up 0.66 units overall through five days of selections at the 2021 U.S. Open. Of course, I offered you all my day six picks on yesterday's show. We don't yet have the complete results for those selections. I will say to start today, boy, do I owe all of you listeners an apology. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. In this case, I was dead wrong because in the case of 18-year-old Emma Raducanu, not only did she beat Sarah Cerebez Tormo in her third-round match, she beat her 6-love, six 6-1. Six and I thought the physicality of Cerebez Tormo, the variety that she plays with, would be a welcome-to-the-WTA sort of moment for Raducanu, who has been exceptional here in her breakthrough pro season in 2021. Uh, but I was dead wrong. Raducanu continuing to show her exceptional form, exceptional promise. She advances to the fourth round for the second consecutive major. Outside of that, again, two of our other wagers still in play. So 12, 12, and 5, up 0.66 units through day five. We'll update you all tomorrow on how those day six picks ended up. But look, I had lofty promises to all of you. I said over 60% win percentage. I said we're going over 11.18 units, better than we did at the 2021 Wimbledon. Because if you're not improving in life, what are you doing here? But with that said, it means it's time for us to up the ante because I need to step up my game. If we are going to hit those targets, of course, we enter day seven of this 2021 U.S. Open. It's the first half of the fourth round. And you look at the bottom half of the draws for both the men and the women in particular, though the women, there are eight top 16 seeds in each half of the draw. Seven of the eight are still alive. In the bottom half, the only one not around your defending champion, Naomi Osaka, who of course was knocked off by uber-talented 18-year-old Canadian Layla Fernandez. But you look up and down the board, I mean, Good luck picking winners, whether it's Halep versus Fidelina. That's going to be such a physical battle, of course. Sabalenka-Mertens, those are two players who play doubles together. There are no secrets between those two about their games. You've got Fernandez in such good form, taking on a very much in form Angelique Kerber, of course. You know, again, all of your matches on the day, Krachikova Muguruza, which way are you leaning there? Are you going to go with the player with the highest floor probably this season, Grand Slam champion in Krachikova, or are you going to go with the player who, again, I have argued was the best player through the first third of the season, but inconsistent since then, in Garbine Muguruza? It's a tough day here on this podcast. You look at the men's side, of course. It's just going to be tough picking winners, tough getting reasonable odds because Daniil Medvedev, he's a heavy favorite the rest of the way until he reaches the final. Yeah, the Evans match today is going to be tricky, but, you know, Medvedev, according to odds makers, heavy favorite. You look at Tennis Abstract's projection, they have Medvedev a 91.1% chance to knock off Dan Evans. Schwartzman, they give a 74.3% chance against Vandesen Sculp. Yes, we, you know, Carlos Alcaraz, 75% chance against Peter Gojewicz, but for Alcaraz, after such a physical win, first, fourth round for him, do you trust him at this stage? That's a question to ask yourself. And then, of course, the blockbuster on the day. But two guys coming off of physical five-set matches in Francis Tiafo and Felix Ogier Aliasim. Of course, this is always the difficulties as you enter week two of a Grand Slam. You have 16 of the best players in the world competing for a major title. The matches get tight. The selections get tougher. Nevertheless, again, we are upping the ante here on this show. Uh, of course, as always, a shout out to you listeners 
for your listening each and every day and your continued support. A shout-out to our Patreon family as well for all they do in making our Crack Rackets content possible. But with that in mind, let's try to get into it. Here are my picks for Day 7, my GSP Aces of the Day at the 2021 U.S. Open. As always, we start with the money line picks. There are two I have my eye on because, again, you look at the other money lines, they get a little bit on the loftier side. You look, you know, you want to back Sabalenka. She is 5-2 and two in her career against Elisa Mertens. Well, she's minus 265. On its own, that's not a great money line bet. You think Angelique Kerber, the veteran, she's more experienced. Fernandez coming off of the physical and emotional three-set win over Naomi Osaka. You want to bet her? Uh, I can understand that pick, but again, minus 255. Is that really worth a money line wager? I don't know about that, but you look everywhere, you know, across the board, Medvedev, such a heavy favorite in his match. You look for him tomorrow. He, uh, going into his match, I believe something lofty. Yeah, like minus, you know, uh, he's 10 to 1 odds tomorrow to win. So minus 1,000. I just, are you going to bet $100 on Medvedev to win one in return? I don't think so. And so you look for uh, tomorrow's matches. You got to get creative or you got to get daring. And I think the two matches to get daring about is either Garbin Muguruza, who you look tomorrow, plus 110 in her matchup against Barbara Krejcikova, or you go the route of Felix Ogier Aliasim. You look for Aliasim. He is plus, or excuse me, uh, I believe minus 170 in his match against Francis Tiafo. Obviously, from a value perspective, Muguruza at plus 110. She was uh, plus 100 earlier, which is what you're going to see for the graphic. She has since gone up then. Uh, I think there's value in that play. I think her her ceiling is higher than Krejcikova's. And these are two players who have already played twice this season. And they split their two decisions. For Garbin Muguruza, she beat Krejcikova as she was on the Ascension earlier this season. Also, when she was on her run in the Middle East in the Dubai final for Muguruza was a 7-6-6-3 victory on the day. Uh, you know, you look for Muguruza, what she did so well in that match. She ended up, uh, I believe, fighting off seven of the nine break points she faced. And, you know, again, just that was when she was playing her best tennis but of course they played in the build-up to this U.S. Open at the Western and Southern event that was a win for Krejcikova Krejcikova 6-1 6-7 6-2 in that instance she created 15 more break chances for herself got the four conversions she needed again no secrets between these two coming into the match and of course while I mentioned Krejcikova minus 135 favorite right now you go to our friends at Tennis Abstract the numbers suggest that that Garbine Muguruza is the slight favorite. They give Garbine a 55.6% chance to advance to Krejcikova's 44.4. Here's why. You look for Garbine Muguruza this season, 34-13 overall on the year. She's now 27-8-8 in hardcourt matches. You look for her in those hardcourt matches. She has wins, you know, over Sabalenka. She beat her back-to-back in the Middle East. She beat Sonia Kennan at the start of the season in the warm-up in Australia of course she had the match points against Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open this year Osaka goes on to win the event she 
beat Krejcikova in Dubai. Of course, Krejcikova was not a top 10 player at the time, but she has subsequently become a top 10 player for Muguruza this season, 3-5 and five overall against the top 10. Three set losses to Krejcikova, to Andrescu, to Osaka. Straight set losses to Kvitova and Barty in two finals, respectively. You look for her against top 20 opponents on hard court. She's 6-6 six and six against the top 50. She's 14-7. and seven. She has been that excellent on hard courts this season and, of course, across the board. You look for her 18-3 and three against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's cleaned up against who she's supposed to clean up against. 16-10 and 10 against the top 50, 6-7 against the top 20, 3-6 overall against the top 10. But again, we're on hard courts where she has had the most success in her career. She's pretty similar across the board, but 66% win percentage overall on hard courts compared to a 65 overall in her career. Perhaps the most impressive thing for Garbine Muguruza, according to the numbers via our friends at Tennis Abstract, she has career highs across the board. And again, she's played about 50 matches now this year. That's a legitimate sample size by season length. Her break percentage this season, 43.7, that's a career high. And that's 4.6% above her career high. That number's good for 12th amongst top 50 WTA players. Her hold percentage, 75.3, that's 3.2% above her career average. That's a new career high. That's good for 9th amongst top 50 WTA players. She has been a top 15 club member, which of course, for those of you first-time listeners, that means you're top 15 in both hold and break percentage. She's been one of the core three. All season long, it was Sabalenka, it was Muguruza, it was uh, Iga Shviantek. Now, Onjabur has popped into that group as well, and Sabalenka has fallen to 16th in break percentage. So for the integrity of the club, I suppose she has fallen out in the immediate future. But, you know, Garbin Muguruza, despite the ups and downs, despite the fact that this year it's felt like, you know, since that run in uh, the first third of the season, she hasn't done that much. And in fairness, she was injured for a lot of that middle portion during the clay court season, she only played two events, and it was first-round losses for her in Charleston uh, and in Rome. And then, uh, obviously, she had to withdraw uh, from the French Open. You look for—excuse oh, excuse me. She played the French Open here this season as well. What am I saying? You look for her in the clay court season. Yeah, it was three events. I was like, she lost first round of the clay court season to Kostyuk. You look for her two events during the grass court season. But she has played everything since Wimbledon, and it was a three-set loss for her to own Jabour in the third round there. Jabour has been the other player who's popped into that top 15 club. You look for her, a straight set loss in the quarterfinals in Tokyo to Rabakina, who was on fire in that event. Three set loss to, for her to Sinyakova in Montreal. Three set loss for her to Krechikova in Cincinnati. But most importantly, she was able to play those matches consecutively. And she's found her sea legs now. I thought she played her best set of tennis of the week in that third set in her third round win over 18 seed Victoria Azarenka. She won that match 6-4, 3-6, 6-6. Too. And, you know, for Muguruza on these quicker courts, she's one of those players with the sort of length to track down an opponent's first sh- strike and the sort of quickness as well, but then the sort of firepower to generate her own pace if you leave something floating in the center of the court as well. 
And that's why I think she's the favorite tomorrow over Krejcikova because, of course, from a numbers perspective, Krejcikova has also been excellent this season. She's your runaway uh, winner of the most improved player of the year. You look for Barbara Krejcikova, 42-12 and 12 overall here this season. She's, I believe, 28-3 and three against opponents outside the top 50, 14-9 and nine against opponents inside the top 50, 5-6 and six against the top 20, 3-2 and two against the top 10. She's up to number 9 in the overall rankings you look for Krejcikova here on hard courts uh, this season she's been absolutely exceptional 24 and 8 she made the final in Dubai she made you know a, a title run in Prague right before the Tokyo Olympics where she made round of 16 quarterfinals for her at the Western Southern Open uh, and now you know here straight set wins in three matches she's had three comfortable matches Sharma Mikhail and Rakamova but she's made them look comfortable not dropping a set along the way you look for Krejcikova here this season obviously career highs and hold percentage she's number I believe three right now amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. You look for Krejcikova. She is third, 78.1% trailing just Osaka and Barty. She is 23rd in break percentage over these last 52 weeks. You look for Krejcikova, new career high for her there, break percentage of 38.7%. And yet, you know, again, if it's strength on strength, I, because Krejcikova, high percentage player, puts a million balls in play, isn't going to beat herself. She's going to take the ball early on the rise. She's going to move the ball around the court. Doesn't have overwhelming pop, but she covers the court extraordinarily well. She plays the angles well. She moves to the net so well. Former Grand Slam champion in doubles, of course, also. But I just like the power tennis of Muguruza. I think this match is on her racket, much like I felt about RBA versus FAA, where it just felt like, yes, RBA might be the more consistent of the two, but Krejcikova's game, much like RBA's, is sort of predicated on daring you to take a, a swing at a low percentage shot and say, all right, if you can beat me down the line, congratulations, you might be able to beat me, but I don't think you're going to be able to execute that shot over the course of two and a half hours. Muguruza is one of the players who can execute the shot over the course of the two and a half hours. And of course, while it is worth mentioning that Barbara Krejcikova is 28-3 and since uh, the start of her run, she won the title right before the week of the, the French Open, since the start of that pre-French Open title run, 28-3 and overall. That's freaking ridiculous. And yet... I mentioned the numbers for her against highly ranked opponents. She's 3-2 and two against the top 10. She's beaten Svitolina. She's beaten Cannon. 3-3 three and three, technically. If you count that Muguruza win, you should count the loss. So, you know, a win and a loss to Muguruza. Wins over Svitolina and Cannon. And then two losses to Ashley Barty. You look at those top 20 opponents because it feels like everyone in the top 20 in the right week's top 10. Her wins have come over Svitolina, Kennan, Rabakina, Sakari, Muguruza. So, we, you know, we haven't seen her take out a Barty. We haven't seen her take out a Sabalenka. We have seen her take out Muguruza in three sets, but I think this version of Muguruza is better than the version of Muguruza we saw in Cincinnati. I just like the upside, the power tennis of Garbin Muguruza a little bit more than the, you know, again, rigorous consistency of Barbara Krejcikova. And I think now that we're in the second week, second week Garbin is not to be trifled with. I like that she's an underdog tomorrow. Again, the metrics suggest it. You look at Tennis Abstract's projection. They have her as a 55.6% favorite. 
I watching them play this week, yes, Krejcikov has been the more solid of the two, but she hasn't been tested the way Muguruza has with Vekic in round one, obviously round three, Vika as well. I think Muguruza is ready for this match from the start. I think it might take Krejcikova two, three, four games to acclimate herself to the level, but of course, you don't have that sort of time with Garbine Muguruza. So give me Muguruza tomorrow to pull off the upset again. At the time I made the ace of the day, it was plus 100. It has since gone on up to plus 115, but we have the plus 100 odds. I don't want to be disingenuous to all of you. That's what I wrote down. Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, again, I just... I was going to say the other metrics quickly. I'll, I'll run you through them. Just, you know, Krejcikova, eighth in terms of the live rankings. Muguruza currently ninth. You look in terms of race to the year on finals. Krejcikova, second in points accumulated. Muguruza is seventh. You look via our friends at Tennis Abstract. Their overall ELO ratings, Krejcikova, fourth. Muguruza, fifth. You look 2021 specifically, Krejcikova, second. Muguruza now down to 15th. And yet, the forecast still likes Muguruza, as do I. Give me Garbine Muguruza. Again, we're upping the ante here. Give me one unit on this to win one unit in return. If you go now, you might get even more value for that pick. We're riding Muguruza one more time. I think she has played that well. I think she gets the victory tomorrow over Krejcikova. I brought up Felix Ogier Aliassime versus Francis Tiafa. While I do think Felix wins the match at minus 170, I just don't love those odds. You know what odds I do like, though? The spread on that match. You take Felix Ogier Aliassime minus two and a half games, and let's be clear 7 6, 7 6, 7 6 covers that. Anything better than that, obviously, straight sets covers that for Felix. If he wins this match in straights, he will cover. He can also go 6-3, 6-4, 5-7, 6-4. That still covers as well. There, because I, ex- I expect tight sets each and every set. The way Tiafa was able to hold serve with Andre Rublev, there's no reason he can't do the same thing with Felix here in this match. But I expect Felix to win. And if you think Felix is going to win, you get better value at minus two and a half games over Tiafo at minus 125 than you do at the money line at minus 170. Even if you think it's a five set win, you still get better value with the minus two and a half games. Uh, because again, I, I think if Felix wins, that spread is going to be over that number. And I do think Felix is going to win tomorrow because you look for him, how successful he has been now over, uh, you, you know, another guy since the start of the grass court season since that disappointing first round loss for him at the French Open. He ended up making that run to the final in Stuttgart. Semifinals hollow where he lost 7-6 in the third to the eventual champion. Quarterfinals lost to Berrettini in four sets at Wimbledon. Yes, was a three out of four match skid for him. Uh, you know, Tokyo, Canada, Washington didn't play his best tennis, but then quarterfinals of Cincinnati now makes the round of 16 here and had that match on his rack from the start against 18th seed RBA and the difference why I lean you know FAA over Tiafo because they both are coming off of physical five set matches but I just think for FAA a the confidence boost from that Roberto Bautista Agut match yes it took him five sets yes he was up a break in the third set that he ended up blowing but he was in control of that match the entire time Francis Tiafo had to fight like hell to just stay alive 
against Andre Rublev. And yes, he was able to match Rublev stride for stride. And yes, he was able to engage the crowd, get that crowd on his back to provide him that extra boost of energy on the biggest sh- um, in the biggest moments, on the break points to come up with the first serve, to put a little extra juice on that first forehand, to stretch that much further needed to make that drop volley at the net to put Rublev away. Kiafa was co- able to come up with everything against Andre Rublev. But I think that was a more taxing performance than the one Felix played. And yes, you know, RBA plays such a physical grinding style of play. But it was still first serves, first forehands. Felix executed his game plan from the start. He didn't need to... You know, he didn't need that extra boost. It was just, all right, it's time for me to get over the finish line. Francis had to throw everything plus the kitchen sink at Andre Rublev to get through that match. I think, obviously, that match ended 2 a.m. as well. I just think that match, A, is going to take a little bit more out of Francis than it is out of Felix. B, you look for Felix's level of late in the primetime matches. He's 19-6 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 12-12 and against the top 50, but 7-4 and against the top 20, 4-4 and against the top 10. He has brought his best tennis of late on the biggest stages against the best players. You look for him, uh, you know, of those seven top 20 wins, four of them have come since the start of the grass court season. Obviously, he got the win over Berrettini after losing to Berrettini at Wimbledon, beats him at the Western and Southern Open as well. You look for Felix right now in terms of the metric. You know, he is currently in the live ATP rankings, new career high of number 14. You look for him in the race to the year-end finals. Felix up to number 12. He has a legitimate shot. So if you take Roth out of the equation, he's 11th. Legitimate shot. At the year-end finals, one win here, a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open would go a long way to that fact. You look for Felix here on the season, career highs in both hold and break percentage. He's holding 83.5% of the time, that number good for 23rd. He's breaking serve 22.7% of the time, that number good for 33rd amongst top 50 players. But again, both career highs for Felix here this season. He's gotten better. He continues to maximize the strength, his ability to hit that backhand through the court. And again, if it's strength on strength, I just think Felix is a little bit better at the big serve, the big forehand tennis than Francis is. And obviously, Francis has been excellent this season as well. Francis' career highs in hold percentage, 81.5. Career high in break percentage, 20%. Both of those numbers, by the way, still lower than Felix's number. But Francis is starting to play the best tennis of his career. And you look for him this season with this result now into the round of 16. He's up uh, to number 52 in the live rankings. But in the race, he's accumulated 35th most points this season. That's accurate. He has been a top 50 player. You look at his numbers by splits. He's 24 and 13 against players ranked outside the top 50, 6 and 8 against the top 50, 3 and 6 against the top 20. Obviously, has gotten wins over both Rublev and Tsitsipas this season at the Grand Slams. And you look for Francis of late at the Slams in particular. He's had a ton of success. Quarterfinals 2019 Australia, round of 16 last year U.S. Open, pushed Djokovic in a very fun four-set match at this year's Australian Open, third round this year at Wimbledon as well, third round Wimbledon 2018. You know, again, we should get accustomed to seeing Francis make these sorts of runs at the slams because they do seem to be uh, bring out his best tennis, these sort of stages, this sort of fan dumb. And again, no one in tennis engages crowds quite like him. But 
I think it's going to be very similar. Again, Francis is going to have to play a very similar match that he did to uh, with Andre Rublev. He's going to have to execute at that high a degree of level from start to finish and play on his front foot and approach the net and make Felix uncomfortable in the outer third. Literally, it's the same game plan as he had against Rublev. Can he do that for four more hours on court? I don't think the answer to that question is yes. I think Felix can sustain his play because, again, he— Stayed within himself is what I'm trying to say during that Roberto Bautista Gut third round win. That was Felix realizing, hey, my best is good enough. Francis found another level. You know, Francis, I'm not going to he played better than I have ever seen him play from start to finish in a match. Just the way he made his adjustments against Rublev last night. I, I just don't know if Francis is going to be able to replicate that. So I am leaning Felix tomorrow. You take him at that minus two and a half games. Again, you get value with a minus 125 number versus the minus 170 on the money line. So give me Felix minus two and a half games over Francis. I also think he wins the match minus 125. We're going to throw another full unit on on that to win point eight, upping the ante, the theme of today's show. For what it's worth, some of the other spreads and over-unders I like. Honestly, if you take over two and a half sets on any of the women's matches, they're all plus 140 or higher. I think any of them, particularly Halep and Svitolina at plus 140, are likely to go three sets. I like Kerber minus three and a half games over Fernandez. That's minus 140 versus the money line, which, as I said earlier, Minus two thirty. Uh, excuse me, two fifty-five. You look Sabalenka minus three and a half games over Mertens at minus one thirty-five. Same deal. She's minus two sixty-five uh, over Mertens via the money line. So that's where the value plays are in terms of on the men's side. You know, over three and a half sets, same deal. You want to take them in any of the matches, I suppose, except for Medvedev. But even in that one, given it's Dan Evans, I can't blame you. Medvedev minus seven and a half games over Evans minus 180 is interesting. Alcaraz minus five and a half games. I just don't want to touch Alcaraz because, again, that young, that physical a match, bounce back performance against Gojewicz. What does he have left in the tank? I'm not ready to answer that question, so it's a little bit of a stay away from me. But Schwartzman minus five and a half games over Vandesen Scope. I could see him pulling that one off as well. They're all interesting, but none interesting enough to include in the aces. Of course, what is always interesting enough to include in the aces, a parlay of the day. I've got one for all of you here on day seven. I mentioned the money lines individually for Sabalenka and Kerber aren't that enticing, but if you throw them together, now you start to get in the parlay zone. And we'll start with Arena Sabalenka, the number two seed, look dominant. In a 3-3 three and three win over Danielle Collins to advance to the fourth round. It's her third fourth round at the four majors here this season. You look for her obviously coming off of the semifinal at the uh, at the 2021 Wimbledon. 41-14 and 14 overall this year. She's, I believe, you look on the season 18-2 against opponents outside the top 50. 23-12 against top 50 opponents. 7-7 seven and seven against the top 20. 2-3 against the top 10. She is one of the players, though, who has beaten Ashley Barty here this season. You look for her overall. Again, I mentioned at the slams this year, fourth round Australia, third round loss in three sets to the eventual finalist in Pavlachenkova, semifinals 
a loss to Pliskova at Wimbledon. She now finds herself in the fourth round here, facing a familiar foe in Elisa Mertens, her former doubles partner. They've won a double slam together, and you look for Mertens. Here's a crazy stat for you. She has made the third round or further now at 15 consecutive Grand Slams in singles. 15 consecutive, all of them, dating back to the start of the 2018 season. Now she's 9-6 and six in those round of 32 matches. You get to the round of 16. She falls to 3-5 and five in the 8 of the 9 matches. Uh, she's now played in that uh, at that level. And of course, you know, you look for Elisa Merton. She was the wins leader in 2021 last season. Thir- uh, 2020 last season. She's 30-15 and 15 this year in 2021. She's 14-11 against the top 50, 3-5 and five against the top 20, 2-2 two and two against the top t- uh, against the top 10, excuse me, with wins over Halep and Spitalina here this season. I mean, Elisa Mertens is as rock solid as she, as they come. She has been a perennial top twenty five player, one of the top thirteen players uh, in the in the in the world this season in terms of you know one of thirteen to be top twenty five in both hold percentage and break percentage. Now she's not elite in either of the categories. You look for Mertens right now in terms of her hold percentage. Elisa Mertens currently ranks nineteenth amongst the top fifty players. You look for her in terms of break percentage. She's a little bit better. She's eleven. But not top 10 in any individual category. Still very good at everything that she does. And you heard me right there. As of now, she's currently in the top 20 club. But she struggled against players with the sort of power tennis of Sabalenka. She's just struggled in her career against top 10 opponents. You look uh, for her overall. Elisa Mertens in her career. I mentioned 2-2 two and two in 2021. 9-21 in her career against the top 10. Because she doesn't have the sort of elite power that a top 10 player right now in the women's game has. She can't find those points that easy, uh, and which you just need to do when you're playing these top players. At the same time, if those top players have at all an off day, she's going to make them pay because it's relentless consistency. She absorbs, redirects, pays so well, can hit all the shots, can move forward to the net comfortably, hit the swinging volleys as she moves forward as well. Lisa Mertens does a lot of things really, really well, and you look for Mertens again. Where she struggled is in this matchup against Sabalenka. She's 2-5 and five overall. She's lost the last four times that they've played. She lost to her earlier this season. 6-1-4 Love had to retire in Madrid. They played in the Linz final at the end of the last season. Indoor hard courts for Sabalenka was a 7-5-6-2 victory. Mertens hasn't beaten Sabalenka since the round of 16 in Montreal back in 2018. And again, all the advanced metrics point to Sabalenka, who's third in the race to the year-end finals. Mertens a very respectable 10th, by the way. Sabalenka currently second in the rankings. Mertens currently at 16th. You look at the tennis abstract forecast. Sabalenka 59.8% favorite to Mertens, 40.2%. Again, I just think Sabalenka, her power tennis, the focus that she's found, and again, an opponent she's very familiar with, these are all things that play in her favor. I like Sabalenka over Mertens tomorrow. Again, I don't like the odds individually uh, at minus 265, but that's where Angelique Kerber comes into play as minus 255 over Layla Fernandez. I just think Angelique Kerber, you look at for her, the stretch she has had uh, since the end of, or excuse me, since the start of the grass court season, finals in Stuttgart, 
semifinals Hala, quarterfinals Wimbledon, quarterfinals Cincinnati. Now round of 16 here at the U.S. Open. You look for her, uh, or excuse me, I think I, I, I messed that up. Excuse me. Here we go. Let's try that one more time. Leave it all in. But champion in Bad Hamburg. I was reading the Felix stats. Champion in Bad Hamburg, semifinals of Wimbledon, semifinals of Cincinnati. She's 18-3. and three. Since the start of the grass court season, 18 and three, folks. Her only early exit, a second round loss to Vika in Berlin. She has refound her form, and it starts with the serve, which she's made at about a 70% clip, and she's winning about 66% of her first serve points. She's winning about 47% of her return points overall. She's been spectacular, and you look uh, again for Angelique Kerber, a game so predicated on fitness, moving the ball the well around, that she is healthy and confident. That's everything for her, and it's not that I don't think Layla Fernandez ha- doesn't have the talent to beat her. Layla Fernandez absolutely has the talent to do whatever Layla Fernandez wants. But coming off of a three-set match, the biggest victory of your career against Naomi Osaka on center court, to go from that, the quickness, you know, the pace of that match to the physicality Kerber's going to play with, how low and flat she keeps the ball, that is a drastic change in style and you know while perhaps seeing the pace of Osaka may help her deal and be more aggressive with the lack of pace of Kerber I just think it's a bit of a letdown for Fernandez in this match in terms of level versus Kerber who's just not losing to anyone right now in the stretch of play that she has had so give me Kerber to win the match you parlay them together minus 110 odds let's throw a unit on that to win point nine why because the theme of the day we are upping the ante so our three aces of the day. Give me Muguruza on the money line, plus 100 over Krejcikova. One unit to win a unit back. FAA, minus two and a half games over Tiafo, minus 125. One unit to win point eight. Sabalenka and Kerber parlayed together on their money lines, minus 110. One unit to win point nine. Those are your aces of the day. Again, to see the complete board, head on over to our website, crackrackets.com. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an ending job they do day in day out of course if you're looking for the complete breakdown of each day's action head on over to our mini break podcast feed as well like rate subscribe review to all of our crack rackets podcast but with that said for super producers Fligner and westoff for all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say may the odds be ever in your favor and hey great shot good luck everyone <laughs>